We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast, and we are here to talk all things Pacers as they take down the Miami Heat on Saturday night without Tyrese Halliburton dropping 144 points. Fachi, who is this team, and do we need Halliburton? Halliburton who? Who's that? No, look, here's the thing. Going into that game, I'm going to be honest. It was probably the least excited I was to watch the Indiana Pacers. You're talking about no Halliburton coming off of a loss. The team had been slumping. And, and I, I got my wife asking me if we could watch the Grinch on TV. I was like, all right, babe, I'm not I'm not there yet. Like, let me, let me, let me, I gotta tune in. I gotta see what happens. And I was stunned. I was surprised. I had a blast. This Pacers team, just when you think you might count them out. They responded in a fantastic way, taking down the Miami Heat without Tyrese Halliburton. And offensively, Alex, somehow, not only did they not skip a beat, they were as good as could be. Yeah, I mean, they got off to a slow start, and then things really yeah. clicked for them there with, like, the final 36 minutes of the game or whatever, maybe maybe 40 minutes of the game. It was just, like, the first six to eight minutes with the starters was awful. It was like, okay, this is a, one of those games where you're like, yeah, let me throw on the Grinch, like you said. And it was funny because I was out doing groceries and running errands with my wife before the game started. And when she found out Halliburton wasn't playing, she goes, oh, so does that mean you have to watch? I was like, yeah. no, mm-hmm. I have to watch. I mean, regardless, yeah. we're going to talk about this on the pod. I got to write an article about it. Like, you know, you got to do that. But, you know, I think we should just jump right into it. Obviously, we're going to start things off with our first segment here um, of the postgame recap. We're going to get into the keys that led to this Pacers win. So, Fachi, what is the first one that you had? First one I'm going with. No Tyrese Halliburton. How are you going to handle that scoring load? Well, six Pacers scored 16 or more, including four Pacers having 20 or more. Mm. They were led by Bruce Brown with 30. I mean, if we really want to break it down, Tyrese Halliburton had 44 points last game against Miami. How are you going to make up for that? Well, the Pacers did it in a collective effort. Yes, I mentioned Bruce Brown led the team with 30, but you also had Obi with 22. Neesmith and McConnell had 20 apiece. Miles had 17, and Benedict Matherin had 16. Alex, those six players combined to shoot 86% from the field. I mean, that's a collective effort right there. No, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, the efficiency of these guys are making shots with was just insane. Like, I was blown away how many times I was like, how many points does that person have? How many does he have? You know, it's just like we talked about that first unit. They really struggled. But when they came back in after the second unit kind of spearheaded things, that's when things really took off for everybody. And it felt like nobody was missing shots. So they played the right style of basketball. They got into what they wanted to do. And I think that's what really helped to uh, hitting those shots. But they've been missing a lot recently. And, you know, Tyrese Halliburton always talks about the law of averages every post game when he's asked about, you know, guys didn't shoot the ball well tonight. You were eight of 
35 from three, you know, what, what did you think? They're like, well, they were all good shots. They just weren't falling. And fans are like, ah, oh, whatever. We don't want to hear that. And then you watch a game like tonight or excuse me, Saturday night. And you're like, okay, maybe, maybe they're onto something because the Pacers run a really good offense and they get the looks that they need to get. It's just a matter of it's a make or miss league. And sometimes it is that simple. Now there's other things that can do, obviously, but when you're hitting shots like that, it just gives you confidence and it allows you to be more impactful in other areas of the game as well. No, it really does. Just to put things in a full perspective, because you mentioned that first quarter, Pacers missed 15 shots in the first quarter. They then missed 14 shots in the next three quarters combined. Pacers overall shot 66%. It's the second best in franchise history. It's Mm. the worst that Miami has ever experienced. So I think it's great when Miami had one of their best games against the Pacers ever in the franchise history in terms of what they scored in the previous game team and then we delivered one of the worst defensive efforts that Miami has ever experienced I mean a lot can turn around a lot can change in just one game absolutely Fachi and I want to go to my next key point here because something we talked about in the preview and you brought it up you said can our bench please show up to a game it feels like they haven't shown up in a while and they end up scoring 64 points Ben Mathern uh, had 16 points Aaron Neesmith and TJ McConnell both had 20 and then Isaiah Jackson came in and provided some really good minutes in the eight minutes he played he got eight points as well and if you go back to Miami's bench, Miami had a really good uh, showing from their bench in this game once again. I thought Caleb Martin was really good. Josh Richardson, once again, was efficient like always. And uh, Hawkeyes Jr. had some good moments. Kevin Love was pretty good offensively too. They had 59 points, but the Pacers outscored them 64-59, to 59, and it was really the bench that I think led to the Pacers getting things going. I think TJ McConnell was just massive in this game, Fachi, and, and what he brought in terms of setting the pace no pun intended, but he really did. He established that pace. The Pacers were lacking with that starting five. And I thought Ben Matherin was looking for a shot. Aaron Neesmith was looking for his shot. And <clears throat> I tweeted out, I was like, these guys got to step up and have a really good game. And and they did. Matherin, I think, had eight points by the end of the first quarter. So that was really good to see from him, just to see him make quick decisions, get the ball in the basket, and provide the Pacers that scoring threat they needed because in that first unit, nobody was really scoring the basketball or looking to score. And that's why Andrew Nimhard was kind of having to be that guy and he's just not that kind of player. So I thought that it was just a great overall showing from that that you know first unit. And I really thought TJ McConnell's incredible game um, was a, a statement of that. I mean, 10 of 11 from the field, Pachi, 20 points, 11 assists. Guy was everywhere. Just one turnover also. I, I think McConnell just played a fantastic game. And overall, for a bench unit, I mean, you talked about it, 64 points. In the previous game against Miami, the bench had 23 points. They nearly triple, you know, their, their production. So I think the bench really set the tone in this game. You mentioned set the pace, set the tone, whatever you want to call it. The bench did it. And, and I just feel like there was so much to like with that bench unit. And this was that type of game that you really said, okay, look, you're, you're for so long we've wondered who could be the number two. On tonight, it felt like you had – five number twos and that was the big thing and that was a major difference in this game and a major key to this win uh my next key obi toppin on both sides of the ball Alex, obi's never been known for his defense if anything he's gotten heavily scrutinized for his defense but he owned guarding Jimmy Butler. He really took it as seriously as I've ever seen Obi Toppin guard anybody. And I felt that he really made Jimmy work for everything. Like, you could look down and be like, Jimmy Butler had 33 points. What do you mean? He made him work for everything. Obi had a career-high four blocks in the game. But I think a big thing was he kept Jimmy off the line, off the free throw line for the most part. 11 less free throws um, for Jimmy Butler, who I felt just lived in the paint and on the free throw line in that first game against Miami. But let's also not forget that Obi poured in 22 points on seven of eight shooting four of four from three. I just felt like it was as complete of a game as he could have possibly played. And I'm going to be honest. I was worried because of how reliant Obi had been on his offense to come from Tyrese Halliburton. He was just able to just really um, own what he had to do on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I made the joke with Caitlin Cooper that he's kind of the gravy to Tyrese's mashed potatoes because they yep. go together. And he kind of proved me wrong last night by showing that he can hold his own without Tyrese. And I think everybody is a beneficiary of Tyrese's passing abilities and just ability to get them open with his creation. But, I mean, Obi Toppin was all over the floor last night. You talked about it, the four career blocks. He had two in one possession that led to a shot clock violation. 
he held Jimmy Butler in the possessions that Jimmy that he was the primary defender on Jimmy Butler to four of eleven shooting. Oof. And if you really pay attention in this game, Jimmy Butler is a foul merchant. He loves to get yes. guys in foul trouble, and he loves to use that pump fake. He's one of those guys that almost plays the game to get you in foul trouble mm-hmm. and live at the free throw line. And so, like, he still ended up having, what, 33 points last yeah. night? But by the end of the third quarter, he had taken three free throw attempts. He got six of them in that fourth quarter, and the Pacers really just had another dominant performance in the fourth quarter scoring-wise, so it didn't really matter as much. But, like, I thought that Toppin's ability to kind of slow him down and just put some size on him, like Rick Carlisle talked about, the size that – Toppin gets, you know, gives Jimmy Butler like that makes it a lot more harder to work and then score on than going up against a Bruce Brown or an Aaron Neesmith who are four inches shorter. So that is where it's really beneficial to have a bigger power forward like that, that you can throw at a Jimmy Butler. That's that's athletic, too, because I really thought it would be Toppin just played great. Then offensively, you know, you you touched on it. the, the, The efficiency that he shot the ball with was just incredible. Didn't really touch the ball at all in that first six minutes. I mean, it was more of the Nimhard show because their offense was so clunky and he was the only one taking open looks. So, yeah, I, I thought that Obi Toppin, really great game. And I, I love that he played through the injury because I thought there for a second they were going to have to pull him with the ankle injury. And I, I didn't know how that was going to play out for him. We'll see if he's able to play Monday versus Celtics. I think that there's still a question mark, maybe if he's healthy or not. But you got to love the way that he played. And you talk about, you know, the free throw attempts, right? I think as a team, the Pacers did a great job collectively keeping Miami off of the free throw line, which is something they really struggle with. This is a team that has always struggled um, or has struggled all season long with defending with fouling. You know, they haven't been able to defend without fouling, but only 24 free throw attempts for Miami. And I think they had 45 the previous games. So mm-hmm. you basically yep. cut that in half and you win by 15 points. It kind of feels like that might have been the difference there. You keep your guys healthy and get out there on the – not healthy, but you keep your guys uh, available and and out there on the court so they're not sitting on the bench being fouled out. And and one of the things, too, you talked about the efficiency shooting-wise. I know I'm talking a lot here. I apologize. But the the three-point shooting from the Pacers I thought was pivotal in in terms of this not allowing Miami to kind of get out and run so and get the Pacers in bad defensive position, which would get them in foul trouble. So shooting the ball well and making Miami kind of take the ball out of the net and then play that kind of style more half court and allow the Pacers to kind of get set in their defense instead of scrambling like it felt like they were by all the missed threes they had the previous game. No, I mean, it's that's a major key because you got to think of that first game against Miami. I mean, Neesmith fouls it out, uh, Matherin fouls it out, um, Buddy Heald fouled out, and then Obi Toppin at five. Yeah. I just felt like every every Pacer was, was using as many fouls as they possibly could because of things like Jimmy Butler just getting to the line or, you know, Jaime Jaquez. Just, it felt like Miami was attacking the Pacers. The Pacers could do nothing but foul. They really made that adjustment, and it was noticeable. And I know that overall for the game, you know, I think the Pacers might have ended up committing, I think, only maybe, you know, seven less fouls or so. But it wasn't. It was less shot, less fouls in the act of shooting, which yeah. made a, a big difference in this game. So I think that was major. You're talking about twenty different, you know, twenty to twenty five less free throws for uh, for Miami in those two games. A twenty one uh, free throw difference. That is so huge, especially in a game that's decided by fifteen. I mean, who's to say that maybe Miami could have went, you know, fifteen to twenty from the line, fifteen to twenty one, whatever it may have been. So that's a major difference. And my last key that I got over here in terms of uh, what I think was a big difference in this game was the second half performance that we saw from this Pacers team compared to last game. Last game, Indiana surrendered 78 points to the Heat while only uh, scoring 59. This time around, Miami scored 64, but Miami gave up 79. And the 79 points came on... 79% 79% shooting in mm. the second half. So I feel like it, it was just basically a, a rules reversed. The Pacers came out really hammering Miami offensively, but also tightening up on defense. Compared to last game, we saw Indiana fade away in that second half. Miami had all the momentum. And come that fourth quarter, once that started, it wasn't even close. Miami ran away with it. Yeah, I mean, that second half was incredible, Fachi. I mean, everybody shot over 66% except Andrew Nimhart, who went one of four. <laughs> Yeah. So that's insane. I mean, Buddy Hield was 100%. Obi Toppin, 100%. Bruce Brown was 7 to 10 for 70%. Miles Turner was 6 to 7 for 85.7%. Uh, TJ McConnell, 5 for 5, 100%. <laughs> I mean, 
everybody just was was clicking and it was just a great collective effort. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. So it was just one of those nights where it's like, okay, the Pacers are really about to do this thing because, you know, we both thought probably walking into this without Tyrese, how are we going to win this game? And I know you were really nervous about it. And I thought, well, they didn't lose the previous game. So maybe they are a little bit more motivated. And I thought TJ McConnell not playing in the last game, um, he could kind of come in there and maybe have more of an impact than uh, you might necessarily think he might have. And then the energy that he brings is just something that you can't replace with this team. So, you know, overall, though, I, I really agree with you, Pacha. That second half was incredible. And then my last thing, I kind of touched on it last uh, point, but I just want to kind of close out with this. The Pacers um, had 20 fast break points. The Miami Heat had zero. And when you're able to keep teams from getting out and running, I think that's really beneficial for you. So the Pacers like to get out and run. I'm not even 100% sure like what their numbers are, fast break points per game, whatever. But 20 doesn't feel super high, but it feels significant when you hold the other team to zero. So being a plus 20 on that side of the basketball was really huge to me. And I think most of those fast break points came once the Pacers started playing faster because they were not playing fast at all. They were playing methodical, lethargic, whatever word you want to use. And it was like, man, are they like stuck in the mud or what's going on? But then like that bench unit came in and you're like seeing Isaiah Jackson sprint down the court. And it's like, man, this is refreshing. I felt like Miles Turner was just like barely shuffling his feet to get down the court. And like they were just going like halfway through the motions. And I'm like, what what are we doing here? And then it was just a breath of fresh air to see them kind of play that faster pace. So uh, love seeing that they were just so dominant in terms of being 20 points to zero in the fast break column. Yeah, a 20 to zero advantage for fast break points is Amazing. Couldn't have asked for anything real, you know, much better because Miami had 15 fast break points the previous game. So you're talking about you eliminated 15 points, you know, on, on the fast break. You trimmed off, uh, you know, 21 free throw attempts. I just feel like that's a major, major difference in how you can tighten up the game. And the Pacers did a fantastic job of that. So uh, everybody, I hope you liked these keys to the game. I honestly think in a game like this, there might have been 10. There might have yeah. been more. There was so much great things that happened in this game that led to this Pacers victory instead of just saying, well, they shot three-point ball really well. No, they played a really complete game, and offensively, they were magnificent. I think you could use 20 different words to describe how they were offensively, but I thought these were maybe six of the, the top keys to the win. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it was funny. I, I did my 10 Thoughts article uh, on the game after after the game ended last night, since we didn't have a podcast, I was able to jump right into it. And somebody said, "Man, it was probably uh, hard to keep, you know, uh, only ten things on your list after everything that went down last night." I'm like, "Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because there's different things you can pick and choose from." But yeah, I mean, I could have literally literally wrote in a blurb about every single player in the game just because of how well I thought everybody played. Even a guy like Andrew Nimhart shot the ball like one of nine was terrible, eighteen percent shooting the basketball wise. But my goodness, eleven assists. And people are sitting there knocking him for how bad he is. I'm just like, can we just enjoy the win? And zero turnovers. Zero turnovers, yep. I mean, him and McConnell, I mean, they were – they were turnover between the two of them. 22 assists. I mean, it's just – you couldn't have asked for better ball control and, and ball movement when the guy who leads the NBA in assists is not playing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's any <laughs> other team that has two point guards that can step up like that you know, and, and distribute the rock. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and here we are kind of cheating on our three keys. We're throwing in something else there to give them our little bit of love, despite uh, the poor, poor, poor shooting percentages. But uh, let's get into our next segment here on our post-game recap. This is our fill-in-the-blank segment. Me and Pacha each have three fill-in-the-blank questions for one another. So we'll jump right into this and just be kind of quick with it. So, Fachi, go ahead with your number one. Obi Toppin's play versus Miami was? It was tremendous. I, I thought he was spectacular in every aspect of the game. And it really was pivotal to the Pacers getting a victory. What would be your answer for this? Crucial. I mean, I, I felt like for, for, for OB to, if he had just brought it defensively, that might've been like, Oh, wow. You know, look what OB did defensively on Jimmy and just it's great. But he also gave you 22 points on efficient shooting. So I felt like you needed somebody to step up and you didn't necessarily know who it was going to be. Maybe you think, oh, well, maybe Aaron Neesmith or anything. For it to be Obi Toppin, I felt like that was uh, that was just crucial. Absolutely. And I'm going back to McConnell because we were getting tweets last night saying, oh, you guys still want to trade TJ? And I really don't think we were like saying we need to trade him to get rid of uh, to to and increase Nimhard's minutes. I think 
We were no. just saying if he's not going to play, it does make some sense. Exactly. That's that's um, that's besides the point. So my first my first fill in the blank Fachi McConnell's big game should his playing time. This was really tough because I didn't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but I'm going to say increase his playing time, and I'll okay. tell you why. Maybe it is just the, the the recency bias, but I just don't think that he needs to be out of the rotation. I, th- I think he doesn't need to play 20 minutes a night, doesn't need to be 15 to 20, but is there an opportunity to be able to bring him in when you want to you know, set the tone, change, change the pace, whatever it may be? I feel like McConnell is one of the few players that can be a spark plug on this team. I, I think there are certain guys that could come in. They're not going to change the game the way that McConnell can in a play or two. So I think I, I would say uh, he only helped his case, so why not maybe increase his playing time? Yeah, I said positively impact his playing time. I, I don't necessarily okay. believe that Rick Carlisle is just going to fully give him the reins no. to the backup point guard spot like a lot of people are claiming for, yelling on the table saying, and them hearts sucks, and them hearts this, and them hearts that. If you watch the games, there's been times where McConnell has been awful, and I haven't heard yeah. any of these T.J. McConnell stands in my in my comments <laughs> telling me how great he is. Like McConnell's a it fan was... favorite. There's no doubt about it. He is a beloved Indiana Pacer. He plays basketball the way Indiana fans believe basketball should be played, and for that, I think that this should positively impact his playing time. But I don't think that it should immediately put him into he must play every night. I think that having this kind of like okay chip on your shoulder, go out there and prove it, like bring that energy. Because there's nights I think that he doesn't always do that and the matchup doesn't fit him well, but I thought against Miami, it definitely fit his style of play. Yeah, I, I think it definitely did. But I just felt like McConnell was someone that was out there and and really did impact the game, though. I know he might have been a plus five overall, but I don't think a guy like TJ McConnell could have done any more in this game. Uh, so he didn't need to have like a plus 20 to be like, wow, he really impacted the game. You could just see it. Yeah. So I, I felt like this Pacers team, they looked dead in that fourth quarter against Miami, you know, last time. And McConnell was someone when you're looking at how can we do things a little bit differently, he was huge in this game. So I didn't necessarily know exactly how to answer because you don't want to be a prisoner in the moment, like I right. said. But on a night like tonight, it just shows it's like, man, this is it's a good problem to have having McConnell on the bench, but it's also just like he's not gonna do it every night. But when he right. does do something like this, you're like, man, we, we, we're we in a good spot having three good point guards that can contribute any night. Absolutely. Fine. So, so let's go to your next fill in the blank. Speaking about McConnell, Nemhard and McConnell filled in blank for Halliburton. Filled in great. I mean, I didn't even notice Tyrese wasn't out there last night, to be honest with you, for a certain stretch of the game. It's like, okay, you know, this was great. I mean, obviously, we talked about them at nauseum, what they've done, but 22 assists to just one turnover, you can't beat that. I mean, that is that is Tyrese Halliburton-esque. So great job by them to to step up and fill the void. What was your answer for this one? I'm going to go with spectacularly because I, I felt like in this scenario, that's even a hard word to even say. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> honestly, I had a rehearsal right a couple times. I had to rehearse it a couple of times in my head before I said it. Uh, I'm not going to try it again because I'll probably even butcher it. But I felt like from an from a distributing standpoint, you're telling me that the Indiana Pacers had 35 assists in the game and Tyrese Halliburton didn't play? Yeah. I felt like that was just massive. And I know that Nimhart did not shoot the ball well, one of nine. But the fact that he had 11 assists – zero turnovers, and then McConnell had 11 assists and one turnover. That was amazing. But McConnell also gave you 20. So I I felt like those point guards filled in as great as you could have possibly asked for and more. Some might even say it was spectacular, Fauci. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a hard, spectacularly, you know, it's tough, man. It's tough. I like how you threw the extra part on there to make it even harder for you to say. Yeah, yeah, I I had to because they they needed a little bit something more than just spectacular. So I felt that those two guys, you know, they they really delivered. And uh, (laughs) I was happy to see Nimhard get the start because I just felt like it was like, Come on, you know, really want to have him like get get his mojo back, and I don't yeah. necessarily think he got it, but I think that it, it was great to uh, great to see him, you know, distribute the ball well. Well, we got to remember he did get injured in practice and missed like three or four games because he had a yep. bad back, and I think mm-hmm. Quinn Buckner brought this up on the broadcast saying, you know, he has not looked the same shooting the basketball since he came back from that injury. He's not been 
great all year long, I don't think, as a shooter. It's been kind of a rough year shooting form-wise, but he's been injured since the beginning of training camp, right? Had the kidney stones and then came back, and then he had the back rough. injury. So, it's you know, he's played through some pain, and I think he's getting back there. Just give him some time. It's still uh, pretty early in the season. But let's go to my next phone, the blank here, Fachi. I said the Pacers' biggest area of improvement from game one versus Miami to game two was? Um, honestly. The ability to defend without fouling. I, I just really like point. It, it, that's, that's just how it is because talked about 20 less free throws than the previous game. That That's the biggest difference. The Pacers were able to play defense without sending someone to the line. And, and I just feel like Jimmy in particular, the, 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 the foul merchant, you know, 11 less free throws. Yeah. That is that is such a a big difference in this game. And then that easily could have swung the game in many different directions. If the, Pacers were fouling at the rate they did on Thursday night. I was surprised I left you so stunned because I sent you these questions and, and these answers a little ahead of time. Because each well, you try and think of one word, and I have more of like a sentence. You no, know, it's it was fill just in the like, blank. You yeah, can fill in the blank however yeah. you want to do it. Yeah, There's not was, one answer for it. Yeah, no, I know. But sometimes it's like, all right, you know what? Should I try and trim this down, or am I going with really, <laughs> you know, five words for it? But yeah, yeah, that's what I went with the ability yeah. to defend without fouling. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. That was going to be my answer, just their inability, their ability to keep Miami off the free throw line. And they defended at a high level this game. I thought it was I thought it was spectacular, Fauci. Exactly. That might be the theme <laughs> of the night, man. It, it really might be. It's going to be in our title, <laughs> a spectacular night by the Pacers. <laughs> it, it, it really could be. It sounds right. fitting. We got, we got my, two more. Let's go to the next one. Yep, for my last fill in the blank, this type of performance without Halliburton was – one that I hope we don't have to see very often. Now, I say that because I don't want to see Halliburton hurt because I don't trust this team to be able to play this well without Tyrese Halliburton. So it was refreshing. It was nice to see, but you can't rely on this to happen the next time Tyrese is out because we've seen an awful loss to Boston by 50 points, and we've also seen a great win on the road versus Miami. I think somewhere in the middle is the actuality of what those two would be like if he wasn't there for an extended period of time, and I think it'd be worse and probably closer to, uh, you know, you lost by 50, you won by, what, 15 this game, so you're maybe losing games by 20 points <laughs> somewhere in the middle there. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about that one. It's funny because the, the words that you mentioned, refreshing, I debated that, but I ended up going with surprising because yeah. – you know, surprising. I, I don't think that this would happen again. I think that this is, you know, we saw what happened last year when Halliburton went down in January. This team, I mean, the wheels came off. They really fell apart. So I don't want to see this team much more without Halliburton. But on a night like Saturday night against Miami, uh, the Pacers absolutely, as a unit, rose to the occasion and handled business. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I'm, I'm mad at myself because the answer that I should have gave was this type of performance without Halliburton was spectacular, Fauci. Yeah, yeah, you, you really could have. You uh, really threw, probably could have answered everything. I'm mad at myself. That. I'm kicking myself right now. No, there'll right be other there, opportunities. Silver platter. Just jumped right in and said something stupid instead. What am I doing? <laughs> uh, my last one for you. This is the one that I think we need to talk about actually a little bit um, since we haven't touched on it too, too much. But Bruce Brown's 30-point night proved what? He's capable of more. And the reason why I say that is because he hasn't been given this big scoring role. It's not like other teams where when you do hand out that big contract, it's like, all right, go out and score. But Alex, you know me. I keep that shovel right to the side of me. And I got another stat for you. Is it for my article? You, nope. Did you know that the Pacers are 7-2 and two this year when Bruce Brown has attempted 10 or more shots. Oh, 7-2. and two. I like seven that. 7-2. The two losses are against Chicago and Portland, games that the Pacers easily should have won, and you get our, make an argument fumbled away. So yeah. I felt that Bruce's role each night, it's not to be a top-two scorer on this team, but if you need him to shoot the ball more and attempt more and be more involved, he can do it for you. And I yeah. think on a night like tonight, he was like one of the perfect players to step up in Halliburton's absence because he had a season-high 30. And I don't think that many people thought that was going to happen. If he gave you a 20, you would have been happy with it. But Bruce Brown really, really held it down against Miami. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what you answered was great. And I'll go back to the the hint that I put out there with my article because Bruce Brown has had one 30-point game in his entire career other than what he happened against the Heat. And that mm. was 31 points. And I believe it was against, I want to say the Brooklyn Nets. I can't remember. Um, Revenge game. I can't remember, but I think it was with the Nuggets last year. He had 31. So this is his second highest scoring performance in his entire NBA career. And we're just not used to seeing Bruce Brown be that type of scorer. So if you're expecting him to be this every night, your expectations are way too high because that's not who he is. And I think that when we try to pigeonhole people into players that they really aren't, like your expectations are high because he's getting paid a lot of money. Well, you have to realize what he brings to the table and that's defense. And, you know, we're going to talk to Keith Smith about that in the next segment about the defense and and, and how maybe he's been a little bit underwhelming this year. But overall, I think that Bruce Brown, that game proved, okay, he can do more than what he's been doing. And what I loved hearing him say in the post-game press conference was, yeah, I played terrible the night that Tyrese did not play with us in Boston. And I was awful and I didn't shoot the ball well. And I wanted to go out there and prove that I can step up to the challenge when Tyrese is not there. And that's why I was extra motivated. So loved hearing that from him, Fachi. But let's go ahead and close things out here on our very uh, part first part of the, the podcast here, talking about who the MVP of the game was. So I'm curious... Do we have an MVP from you? I'm going Obi Toppin, and I know he didn't lead us in scoring, but I thought that he just had such a complete game that I, I would like him to get that acknowledgement. Really stepped up when we needed someone to step up, and defensively, it might have been the best that I've seen him play defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think Obi Toppin was the MVP. I put that in my article, and I think it was because of the two-way play that he showed in this game and his ability to really impact Jimmy Butler's production. Jimmy Butler had 33 points, but he went 9 of 23 from the field. I think when you think about 23 shots plus 9 free throws equating to 33 points, that's pretty solid defense on a guy that is just a superstar in this league. I mean, no matter how you look at it, I think Jimmy Butler is a superstar-level player who gets a superstar whistle when you're playing against him. So I uh, I definitely love the way that Obi Toppin came out and really tried to prove how how important this game was to him and and just prove that he can do more than maybe he's done all season. So we're we're seeing Obi Top and just take step uh a step forward every single game it feels like. I feel like the more we watch him play, the more you realize how in, important he is to this team. Yeah, and honestly, I mean there's a whole bunch of stats going out there like oh over his last 6 games or so like he's averaging like 17 and a half points per game but the field goal percentage that he's doing it at is ridiculous over yeah. that stretch of the last six games it's like 71 percent for the season it's 61 percent from the field i just feel that he's been extremely efficient but he's also learning how to play a far more ex- expanded role and more minutes so it's like give him time give him time i mean he was averaging 15 minutes per game in the past. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to get better and better as the season goes on, but definitely my MVP for this, uh, this game against Miami. The, the better he defends, the more playing time he will get. And that has Absolutely. Been a re- that's been a reoccurring theme with Rick Carlisle. doesn't matter if you're, you're Ben Matherin, if you're Bruce Brown, if you're Buddy Hill, like one thing that we did miss in the post-game recap against the heat, we were talking about Matherin getting pulled for that terrible ball watch. It happened. Uh, against the Heat in the fourth quarter. Well, I missed it, and I actually had to go back and edit it in my article. Bruce Brown got backdoored by Jaime Haikes the play before that, and he was actually pulled in the in that game too. So they both guys were pulled after they got caught ball watching, and I think that Rick is trying to prove, okay, I'm holding accountability for everybody and not just Ben Mather, and everybody thinks that you know Ben's getting you know unfair treatment, but I thought it was kind of telling that Rick did pull Bruce Brown after he got beat back door and didn't watch, you know, cause he was ball watching. So that to me is just like, okay, Rick's Rick's being fair. You're just probably not catching every little detail in the game. I think it's extremely important to hold everybody to the same standard. So yeah. to be able to yank Bruce Brown, you know, a, a guy who's, you know, far more of a veteran in this league than Benedict Matherin, the guy who is the highest paid on the team, you know, just to be able to do that really sets a tone to say, Hey, look, no one, is uh is exempt from this so uh, that that's the way to coach so other people don't feel that you're being just too hard on them individually absolutely Fachi. well let's go ahead and take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna have on from spottrack.com the legend key smith to give us a little pacers celtics preview for the big in season tournament game coming at you monday night 7 30 cambridge photos we'll be right back after this hey pacer fans alex golden here i wanted to let you know about my new blog the blue and golden 
If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is 100% free. You can find the blog at theblueandgolden.substack.com or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on the Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on theblueandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody joining us now on Setting the Pace. He is no stranger because he is a reoccurring guest. It's the one and only Keith Smith from SpotTrack.com. Keith, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. We are excited to to talk to you because we know you've covered the Celtics for a very long time, and the Pacers and the Celtics are playing in the first in-season tournament quarterfinals game. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, these games have brought a little bit more juice to the regular season, but I'm curious, you know, this matchup here, obviously, Boston dominated Indiana when Indiana visited them for their only time this season on the road. No Tyrese Halliburton, but it was just it was just a brutal beating. So how do you think this game ends up shaking out a little bit? Yeah, I certainly don't think it's going to go like that. <laughs> that that was uh, probably a one-time thing. Um, I, I think it's a lot of this is going to be, do the Celtics get caught up in playing the Pacers no pun intended, but pace, right? They want to play fast. They want to race up and down the floor, turn this into a, a game where there's roughly 100 possessions, uh, you know, 100 shooting possessions, I should say. And Boston generally wants to play a little bit slower than that. So they they have the talent to keep up, but that's not really their game. They're also going to be without Chris Stapps Porzingis. He's already been ruled out. So that's, that's going to probably lessen things a little bit as far as turning this into just, yeah, we'll run up and down and have a shootout with you. So I, I think a big key is going to be whose pace is this more played like. Generally, that favors the faster paced team just in terms of who wants to play uh, a little faster because it's just easier to get caught up in that and there's things you can do to kind of juice the pace but I think you know Boston will do what they can to try to control the possessions try to get inside as much as they can and, and do the things that have brought them some success this year yeah you mentioned Kristaps Porzingis he's dealing with a calf issue he's not expected to play for the Pacers we imagine Tyrese Halliburton will be out there Still don't know about Jalen Smith. However, talk about what could be that impact defensively for the Celtics if Porzingis is not out there, which obviously he's not expected to be. 
Yeah, it's a big loss um, closing down those driving lanes and making sure that they have that rim protection. He's done really well with that. Even if the block numbers aren't super-duper high, he does a great job at altering shots and protecting the rim. A lot of times what you notice when you see when he's out there, the Celtics do a good job of funneling guys to him, and then it changes the plan. They'll get into the paint, and they get up, and then it's like, I don't really have this. Let me kick it out. And and the Celtics are pretty good with – Holiday and White and Tatum and Brown and being ball hawks. They're pretty good in their rotations of coming around and then picking up steals on those passes or getting deflections and, and those kind of things. So it changes things a little bit. Al Horford still does a great job. So I, how? I don't know at his age, um, but he is still you know playing great uh, basketball. But it's just going to be a question of what happens when he comes out, right? Because then it's either going to be Luke Cornett or Nemias Keda. And when you get into those spots, that's, that's just different, right? Those guys aren't, uh, you know, as capable as Porzingis is. So you're probably going to look to, all right, let's make sure we maybe match their minutes. It sounds odd to do it this way, but maybe we match their minutes a little bit when Halberton's not out there and the Pacers aren't quite as capable of breaking down the defense as, as easily and getting into the teeth of the team. Maybe you try to make sure Horford's out there a little bit more when those guys are out there and and you just kind of go forward with with that. So that that's the big thing. And then it, it just puts that much more emphasis on the guard and the perimeter guys to really try to lock up, not let those guys get past them, try to hold them in check as best they can. Tyrese Halliburton had an incredible month of November, um, really special offensively. Obviously, Drew Holiday, Derek White, two of the best defenders in the league. There's going to be a lot of attention paid to him. How, how, how do you think Boston approaches trying to defend Tyrese in this game, and what ways can Tyrese kind of counter the defense that they bring towards him? Yeah, I think you might see them pick him up a little higher. I, I think you see them bring the pickup points closer to, to half court just to disrupt things uh, where you can. For, for him, if you pick him up too low, you're already kind of – conceding a lot of ground to him because he's so good at getting downhill and getting to the paint, getting into his own stuff, finding uh, kickout passes or drop-off passes at the rim. I think the Pacers, it's been underrated. Uh, they have a lot of guys who are pretty good at diving to the rim, and they've really learned how to dive late because they know Halliburton will hold it for that extra beat. He loves that jump pass, right? It's something that we all, like anybody who's played, your coach has told you, don't jump to pass, don't jump to pass, and he's made it a weapon for him. So it and guys have figured out, all right, you know, hold, he's going to do it. He's going to hold it for that extra beat. So if you can dive late or you could uh, cut into open space, he's going to find you that way. So I think for Boston, you pick them up a little bit higher. They're going to switch. They they tend to still switch everything, especially when Horford's out there, not Porzingis. So, so they'll switch quite a bit. The Pacers aren't an extremely um, uh, pick-and-roll heavy team in a traditional sense where Miles Turner's not a guy who rolls to the rim 70 times a game or anything like that. Um, but they do set their fair share of screens. So they'll switch a lot of stuff there. Holiday and White will be the primary matchups, but they'll live with it if it's Tatum or Brown or if they have to go into the backup guys. They'll they'll make do as best they can. And sometimes what we've seen teams do, uh, and that'll be a challenge for the Pacers, is if Peyton Pritchard or Sam Hauser are out there, sometimes teams take themselves out of their regular offense to try to attack those guys. And the Celtics really welcome that because Hauser holds up pretty well. And Pritchard, unless you can really back him down and put him in the goal, he also tends to hold up well. So so that's going to be a key for the Pacers is, hey, don't, don't go out of what we do just to try to attack these guys because that's kind of what Boston wants. Now, Boston does so much so well. I mean, a really good team, a, a true contender. However, if there's a, a point of emphasis the Pacers can look to attack, maybe perhaps a weakness of Boston, what would you say that, that Boston could struggle at a little bit? On offense, it's turnovers. They still tend to be really sloppy with the ball. And I think sometimes what the Pacers can do is, especially with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, blitz them off pick and rolls. And sometimes you send that that helper from uh, unconventional place. It's maybe a guy who's two passes away or two players away. You send him in the help with the other guy dropping back to cover just because it still throws them off a little bit. Those two guys, even this deep into their career, they're still learning how to be primary on-ball creators. It's not something they've done a ton of. It's been more over the last couple of years, um, and it's definitely more this year, but that's still a work in progress. And then on the other end of the floor, I would say it's going to the offensive glass. I think, you know, that's 
a little bit of a challenge. I know Indiana doesn't do a ton of crash in the glass, but they have guys who can do it, especially like Aaron Neesmith is very good at getting in there and keeping those balls alive. I think Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, if they play, even, even if those two guys aren't the ones coming down with the rebound, they're pretty good at getting in there and keeping it uh, out alive with tip outs and those kind of things. And Boston at times can still be kind of a messy rebounding team. And then, just stick with your offense. Keep moving the ball. If you keep moving the ball, the Celtics, Jalen Brown, and surprisingly Drew Holiday have gotten caught ball watching a little bit this year, and that's where that opens up back cuts. And I think the Pacers have a lot of good passers on this team, so that's a way you could kind of hurt them on that end. One of the things that I think a lot of people speculated when coming into the season was Boston's bench was not that strong. Had a great starting five, but they did kind of weaken their bench after the trade to go out and get Drew Holiday. The Pacers, their bench has kind of been their strength this year. Do you anticipate that the Pacers bench might have an advantage against Boston, or do you think that they shorten the rotations knowing this is an in-season tournament game? Yeah, that's a good question. Boston certainly won't short their rotation. It's already pretty short as it is. I think you're going to see them play their eight guys, so it'll probably be uh, maybe nine-ish. I, I kind of count Cornette and Kata as one because they're going to kind of split the backup minutes behind Horford um, as much as possible. But then it's Pritchard and Hauser in occasionally, you know, old friend of the Pacers, O'Shea Bursette gets in there. That's more when uh, Joe Mazzullo doesn't like the energy. And he's like, I need somebody who's just going to fly around and do some stuff out there. Um, every once in a while, Svee Mikhailuk gets out there if they want a little extra shooting. But for the most part, they've stuck with uh, the, their, their top eight guys. And Porzingis will be out. So that elevates Cornette. And then ultimately, that will elevate Kata, um in there some, too. Those two guys have been playing a decent amount with Porzingis out. So they're not going to shorten the Pacers. I think you kind of do what you do, right? I get it. It's a quarterfinal game. But unless you're really saying, hey, our goal is to treat this like a playoff game and we really want to make sure we advance, I don't know how much you're shortening the the, the rotation there. They, they, it seems like to me most nights they're playing 9, 10 guys pretty regularly. It, the key is there's not – like the ninth and 10th guy aren't getting on the floor and it's going to like, Oh God, you know, this guy's out there for the next five minutes. seems like everybody more or less kind of holds their own for the most part. So I, I would assume that they'll probably play their nine, 10 man rotation and get after it that way. What you may see the shortening is you may see the minutes come down a little bit for those guys on both sides. And you may see it kind of go more towards starters are playing 38, 39, 40 minutes, um, which is a little high for a regular season game. You know, I can't speak to maybe what this in-season tournament has meant for every team, but for the Pacers in specific, it felt like this has been a taste of the playoffs. Three of the four games were extremely highly competitive. One game we played Detroit, uh, you know, a little bit of a different uh, feel to it. But for the Celtics, 9-0 and at home, all four of their losses have come on the road. This game is actually going to be in Indiana, so it will, it will be on the road. So... How do you feel that the Celtics are when they are on the road compared to home? What's different for them? Yeah, I think they don't get that energy lift from the crowd. I, I think, you know, sometimes they, they need that. They, they tend to be a team that can go, even if they start out, like I would tell Pacers fans, and I know they're probably like, yeah, right, last time it started that way and we ended up losing by like 50. But I think <laughs> it's, um, you got to, even if the Celtics start out, you know, up 10, 15 points in the first six, seven minutes, they tend to let teams back in games. And that happens more on the road where they'll let teams back into it and sometimes all the way back into it and then they lose. Uh, they just have these long lapses and droughts, which is even more pronounced when Porzingis is out there. Because with Porzingis, one of the things that we've already seen Joe Mazzula go to is, hey, just dump it into him inside and we'll we'll figure something out, right? He'll 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 find a shot himself or whatever. Uh when it's when he's not been in there, it turns into Tatum and Brown try to kind of, all right, I'm gonna get us out of this. And that doesn't generally always go go so well because then the ball movement stops, the player movement stops, everything kind of dries up. So that's been a problem. Um, more so on the road than than at home, and that's something that the Celtics are still, you know, that they're learning to figure out. And you know, I I, I sound like a broken record with this, but I'm kind of. I don't know that they're gonna like we're pretty deep into the run for a lot of these guys now into their career. And I think this might just be who they are. Um, and, and the hope was maybe Drew Holiday is the veteran guy, and maybe it'll still happen. It's only been, you know, what what less than 20 games. Maybe it still comes where he kind of comes and gets the ball and says, Everybody just breathe. 
Like, run our stuff. We don't need to do this by ourselves. We're going to make this happen. Maybe that'll come down the line, but but we'll see. The guy who tends to be their settler when everything gets a little sideways is Derek White. He's the guy who will, all right, we need a big play. I'm going to get downhill. I'm going to get to the rim. I'm going to make something happen. Either I'll score or I'll find a shooter or I'll hit my pull-up or my floater or, you know, I'm going to step into a pull-up three and those kind of things. So I'm curious to, to see because it's still very much a work in progress. All right, I hate to ask this basic question, but who do you think are the X factors for both teams? If you had to give me one for each team, who would those two be? Yeah, odd as it sounds for the the Celtics, I'd say it's Jalen Brown because he's an all-star level guy, all-NBA level guy, but he's not really played like it this year. So if they're going to win without Porzingis on the road against a good team, they need Jalen Brown to come with it and have a big game. And what happens more often than not with Jalen Brown, especially this year, is he'll have these big first quarters. It's, it's funny, we, we kind of, those of us who cover the Celtics and follow the team closely, a running joke is like first quarter JB would win the MVP because he's that good in the first quarter. And then he just kind of goes missing. And then it turns into, hey, I'm going to get this. I got it. I'm going to make things happen late in the game. And that gets super messy at times. So they need him to be good for, you know, 40 minutes, you know, that he's out on the floor versus just the first, you know, 10, 12 minutes. So I would say him. On the other side, I, I would like to see – Bruce Brown maybe do a little bit more, especially on the defensive end. That's been a bit of disappointment to me with, with the Pacers when I watched them. I thought he'd be a little bit better defensively, and it just feels like he's kind of leaned into, all right, we're just going to fly up and down the floor and make a bunch of plays and be you know, this incredible offensive team. And I know part of what they wanted him for was, hey, you're a great fit with Halliburton and the rest of the guys because you should be able to be an above-average perimeter defender. So I'm curious to see, one, I'm curious to see who does he guard and then two, you know, who, like, how does he go about that matchup? So I'd like to see him step up and be a little bit more. Cause if Halliburton plays, I think everybody else, you kind of know what you're going to get out of them. Um, Brown seems to be the one who kind of comes and goes game by game, especially on the defensive end. You know, staying on that defensive end point, I mean, I, I think when all Pacer fans look at how poor this team has played defensively, they immediately then turn to Bruce Brown and say, I thought you were, you know, supposed to be the, the guy to fix this. And it's a lot for one man to, to really be able to solve. But my last question for you is this Pacers team is scoring at a historic rate. They are really an unbelievable offensive team and they are a dreaded defensive team right now. Do you feel this could be even sustainable to, to be a playoff team? Or is it one of those where, hey, if you don't fix this, you know, defensive side of things out, I mean, you're not going to make the play-in or the playoffs because right now it really is that bad. I mean, last time we played Boston, you know, 150-plus points led up. The Patriots have done that quite a few times this year. Yeah, it's it, it's hard to be a, a real playoff team, meaning you make it through the play-in and then into the actual playoffs, if you're bottom, like, 25 defense. So you got to try, try to get up to, like, 18 or 19. Even then, that's not great, right? But at least that's something. You're not then handing back, you know, 75% of the points you score. And that, that's probably even way too low there. It's like 90% of the points you score. And that's it's going to be hard. It's just going to be hard to beat teams constantly outscoring them. Because again, I talked about it early. Other teams will get caught up in it. But other teams can score too, right? Even the, some of the worst teams can still score points it's it what really does and, and i'm not mr defense wins championships i'm not i'm not my dad i'm not quite that old but it is you have to play some right if you don't play some defense you're really gonna struggle so i want to see them you know play play a little bit better because i think some of it is also schematic like there's no reason why they couldn't be funneling a little bit more to miles turner and letting him clean things up for the for the perimeter guys the problem is the perimeter guys it just seems like other than Brown, and that comes and goes in McConnell, nobody really just sits down in a stance, gets in front of a guy, and really locks in. It's almost like defense is something we have to do for the next 20 seconds until we can be on offense again. And that's that's been, been a little bit too much of a problem. I, I just worry about the Pacers getting into games because we see it in the play-in and obviously in the playoffs. Even the teams that play super fast, 
everything slows down in those spots. Mostly it's the coaches slow them down because it's, we got to value the possessions more. We really need to take care of the ball. And then the opponent will play slower too. So it's just a little harder to have those games with over a hundred shooting possessions, which is where Indiana wants to play seemingly when you get to the postseason. So I, I think they have the ability. And if not, they have the ability to maybe go get a guy or two on the trade market and go, you know, get somebody that can kind of set things up a little bit uh, better for them on that end because they could sacrifice a little bit of offense and not really kill what makes them special as a team. And that's the one thing I always say with teams is you can't try to fix what ails you by hurting what makes you special because if you do that, then – where are you going to fix it by so much that it offsets it fully? Uh, what makes you special? So that's just something that I think about a lot with the Pacers is they could sacrifice an offensive player to go get a defensive player and still be a very, very good offensive team. If not, you know, otherworldly, historically good offensively. Yeah, great points, Keith. I mean, this team is one of the worst at ball watching. Every time you watch them, it seems like some guys just getting caught watching the ball and not playing defense. And it's those little attention to detail things that really stick out when you really break down film. But Looking at ESPN right now, they're giving the Celtics a 61.2% chance to win this game. As we wrap this up, who do you think wins this game? The Pacers are, though, I should put this out there, 4-0. They're undefeated when wearing their City Edition uniforms, which they'll be wearing in the in-season tournament game at home. So, you know, I don't think the ESPN's factoring that part of it in. <laughs> and you get you give the uh, a little, what, two-point maybe uh, bonus for the glaring court that'll yes. take a minute to, to adjust to as <laughs> yep. well. The uh, peacock blue, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that, that is, yeah, some of these in-season tournaments, and the Celtics one included, they were kind of misses. You know, I think some of these were, were a little overdone. Uh, yeah, I it's hard to know, right? Because I think what, what we're going to find out now is how much do these eight teams care? Right. Like, like, do they really care if they fall down 15 in the third quarter? Are they going to fight back? Or are they going to say, eh, forget it. Let's let's kind of go. I think I think one of the motivations for Boston may be, hey, let's try to avoid a, um, you know, game where we're, you know, having to go against Milwaukee or New York, not by our choosing in that second second uh, you know game there, meaning not the semifinal, but the but kind of the game that gets slotted in, I guess. I, mm-hmm. I, I want to call it a makeup game, but that's not really what it is. It's just yeah. a game that'll get scheduled. Um, so that's that could be part of it. I, I, I'll go with Boston just because I trust Tatum uh, to, to get him there. I trust guys like Derek White to make enough plays. But Porzingis being out, that's a pretty good equalizer. And I got to believe the Pacers are going to be Let's just say they better be a lot more focused after allowing 155 points. Last time, I'm pretty sure uh, these last couple of days without games, that's probably been Rick Carlisle's like, you know, over and over and over again, drilling these guys with like, we cannot have some of the ridiculous breakdowns uh, we had in that game and some of the really low effort plays. So I think they'll come out better. I think it's going to be a fun game. I just think, you know, I'll trust Boston a little bit more, especially if it gets into like a shootout. That's fair. I mean, look, Boston, they you would expect them, regardless of the seeding, to be able to handle Indiana. But like you said, no Porzingis at this point. The Pacers rested Halliburton recently, I would imagine, for this game. He's dealing with an uh, upper respiratory issue. And the Pacers want to make some noise. I'm not thrilled that our two nationally televised games are both against Boston this year. Uh, but it is what it is. This is the way to really you know, get fans involved and, and uh, expose them to the Indiana Pacers on a more national uh, level. But Alex, was there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap things up with Keith? No, I think Keith pretty much covered it all. I think it's going to be an interesting game. And I think I think the Peacock Blue, though, Keith, you are hating on it a little bit. It does look bad <laughs> on TV. It's a lot better in person. Yeah, I haven't seen it in person, obviously. <laughs> I, w- I won't lie. It does look bad on TV. Um, but I, I actually like it. I'm a fan. I, I, I don't know why, but it makes it, it does make it feel more important for whatever reason. Different. I will, those do pop. The, the, all of the courts across the league popped and you instantly, like, I have a lot of friends of mine who were, you know, they're casual fans and they were like, 
oh hey it must be one of these tournament nights which that's what the goal was right like yeah. when you turn when you're flipping through the channels or you're out at you know uh, out at the bar and the game comes on you see the core you're like oh it's one of those tournament nights so that that was the goal of it and you know i think i think all around the in-season tournament there's tweaks and adjustments the league will make obviously but i think it was a big success these games were generally played far more competitively and that final night you know with everybody kind of gunning for point differentials. And even though these, a lot of those games were blowouts, it was a lot of fun, you know, watching those games. And, you know, I, now I need like a Premier League style, like live table that updates, you know, based off of every, every time something happens. I know the easier done in soccer than in, uh, you know, basketball. But yeah, I think it's going to be fun. And to that last point, I would say, the Pacers are the exact kind of team the in-season tournament is really made for, right? Make, make a real run at this thing, you know, try to get out there. And I'll say too, Fauci, I'm going to guess they get a couple more uh, nationally televised games before all is said and done. I, I think there's a chance we see them bump a couple teams. And I'm not talking NBA TV games because that's silly. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll get into the late season and it'll be like, hey, the Pacers are good. They're contending for the postseason and they, they play a really fun style. Let's get them on in that seven o'clock hour, seven thirty hour. And we'll bump you know, one of these other you know awful, terrible teams out of there. At least, at least that's my hope, because I've yet to find the person, even casual fans that have seen a Pacer game and not come away saying, boy, that was fun. You know, they're, they're a fun team to watch. So hopefully everybody will get that chance soon. I love it. I agree. And I, and I hope for it. I saw a great tweet a while ago that basically said my favorite league pass team is the Pacers. Second favorite is who's playing the Pacers. Because <laughs> it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be an entertaining game. And I think the casual basketball fan is going to be very engaged in that game. But we got Alex. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we can let Keith only give his prediction. I think we need to give ours to Fachi before we wrap this up. So Fachi, give me your prediction and I'll be the, the final prediction giver for this game. <laughs> My prediction is that the Pacers win. It's a high-scoring game, but I think that this game is going to mean a lot to the Pacers. The way that they came out and played, you know, Cleveland, Philly, and Milwaukee in the in-season tournament, you could feel that they really wanted that extra national televised game. That's what they got over here. I don't think they're ready to give that up. So I'm going Indiana Pacers in an upset. Man, you put me on the spot to be the tiebreaker guy. This is the worst. I, I want to say – my head says Celtics and my heart says Pacers. So uh, they are undefeated, so I'll just ride the streak out. They're 4-0 in those jerseys, like I mentioned, so why not just keep it keep it going? If Aaron Neesmith scores in double figures, Fachi, that'll make him 7-0 when <laughs> 7-0. he does double figures. So we're just putting out all the good stats here. But, yeah, I'll, I'll ride with the Pacers just because they're at home, and I think this game might mean a little bit more to them than uh, Boston. Like, Keith, you mentioned, if the, if the team's down by 15 in the third quarter, will they care? I think the Pacers will definitely care. Um, this is this is a team that's hungry to get any kind of playoff experience. So this to me is a perfect prove it moment for them. I just hope the moment doesn't get too big for them and they come out and lay an egg on national TV, which is also a big fear of mine. Yeah, I, it, I, I just it's going to be a fun game. I think no matter what, I think the crowd's going to be into it and they'll be rocking and, and I, I, it'll be a fun one to you know, watch them kind of go at it th- this way. I think uh, you know it's it, I love that. Uh, quote about you know fan, second favorite team and all that like I I, I just I, I need you know Pacers versus Wizards because I think you know there's a chance we could break the all-time scoring record in, in that one at some point like 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 we just need to see it happen you know focused healthy Pacers team goes in there and drops like 190 or something on the Wizards and in regulation too so you know we'll, we'll, we'll see <laughs> no, yeah time. guys I, I, I'm excited man it's gonna be it should be fun yeah I'm, I'm really excited that's these two teams uh, going head to head in this first one. Awesome. Hey, Keith, as as we uh, you know sign off, tell everybody where they could find you on social media and some of the awesome stuff that you're putting out. Yeah, you can find me at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it uh, these days. So you find me over there. You can find my written work primarily on SpotTrack.com. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff coming right now. We're we're in the middle of running a series that explains how expansion works because I think we all know that's coming uh, to the league. So we're, we we got the first piece up about that. I wrote a piece, uh, your division brethren uh, breaking up the bulls and like my kind of idea of like how it was a look back, like how did we get here? What happened and what needs to happen going forward? Uh, and 
then we'll have obviously trade season starts in like two weeks. Um, as you know, a lot of the guys are signed over the summer can be dealt. So uh, we'll, we'll have a lot of trade uh, related pieces coming up on spot track as well. And then you can find my show, uh, NBA front office show that I do with Trevor Lane uh, Monday through Fridays over on YouTube or a- anywhere you uh, uh, listen to podcasts, NBA front office show. Keith, we really appreciate you coming on. Always one of our favorite reoccurring guests. We look forward to having you back on maybe later in the season. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.